Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash I do. Hey guys, hope you're having a great day. Appreciate you tuning in to today's show where I welcome 
Emily Pollock, and Emily is a partner at Kasowitz Benson Torres, a law firm that is a leading matrimonial and family law practice. And she has decades of experience in family law where she handles complex financial and custodial matters and litigates issues ranging from equitable distribution, child and spousal support, paternity and orders of protection as a partner at Kasowitz, Benson and Torres. And today, Emily and I talk about divorce, custody, finances, and everything she's seen and can advise someone as someone who is in it from the legal and mediation side of things. Really, the things that you want to avoid, the approach that you want to take, the mindset, how sometimes clients come to her and they have an idea of what what it is that they think they want. And she's like, well, the court's going to have other plans for you. So let's not even go down that avenue. And lots of value in today's show. Obviously, we are a relationship advice podcast and we want to help you guys improve your relationships. And that can even mean improving your new relationship with your soon-to-be former partner because like it or not, divorce and separation is a reality of relationships. And and that's okay. And especially if you have kids that can turn into something different in a co-parenting relationship and beautiful. And that's really going to be what's best for everyone, especially if kids are involved. And I'm really thankful that Sarah and I have been able to navigate our divorce and maintain a friendship and enter into a different kind of a relationship that's still evolving. So the more tools we can give our listeners on how to navigate a divorce better, it's not going to change the fact that, that a divorce is happening if we talk about it as we do on today's show. So just want to insert that in there. As always, thank you guys for tuning in, for telling your friends and family about the show, leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes or on Spotify. We should mention Spotify. I know a lot of our listeners are coming to us from there. We appreciate you guys. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. My pleasure. It's nice to be here. You have a lot of experience with family law and divorce and the ins and outs. I'm sure you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we want to be able to share that information with our listeners so that they can kind of prevent the mistakes that that you see a lot of times. And one of the places that uh, we thought we could start was why women file for divorce more than men. I'm curious about what that number is, how how much more women are doing that, why that's happening. Um, and then we will discuss all the things that you're seeing on the ground in the courtroom, so to speak. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, I would say, you know, I certainly haven't conducted any formal studies um, and uh, my the the premise here that women file more than men is really just based on our um, experience over the past few years um, over our practice. Um, we've been 
doing exclusively matrimonial and family law for about 15 years. So during that time, uh, I have noticed a trend that it does seem to be women who are more commonly the ones to initiate the process. Um, I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think when men do initiate frequently, it's because they have already identified who or what their next step is going to be. So they often are not interested in ending a marriage until they have a new uh, place to land. Whereas it's more common for women to do it even when the other side of the divorce is, uh, is unknown. Um, I think that, you know, I have to do the disclaimer here for the whole podcast that these are, um, a lot of these are going to be based on generalizations. Frequently, we're still looking at traditional gender dynamics where you have the primary earner or the higher income earner is the man in the relationship. Um, obviously, when we're talking about differences in how different genders approach the relationships, we're talking about dual gendered relationships. So we're not talking about um, same couple, same sex couples or um, other non-traditional couples. So I just want to get that disclaimer out there. Having said all of that, um, I think a couple of the reasons that women tend to be the ones to start the process are that even when you have both parties working, and sometimes even when the woman is the primary um, earner or even the only earner in the marriage, the distribution of responsibility for household work still falls disproportionately heavily on women over men. So everything from arranging the social calendars for the family, making sure everybody gets where they need to be when they need to be there, that they're fed and clothed and they have all of the supplies that they need and all of the equipment that they need and they have, you know, clean clothing and that the home looks um, appropriate and welcoming and that there's food in the fridge. All of those things are tasks that are still falling disproportionately on the shoulders of women, even in houses where they're fortunate enough to have the resources to have helpers who take care of a lot of those tasks, childcare providers, um, maybe a housekeeper, help with transportation from activity to activity. It's still disproportionately the woman who has to communicate with those helpers or give them their instructions or delegate appropriately. So when you're looking at um, you, you know, ending a marriage and dividing a household and creating two homes, um, the man who's leaving that situation suddenly has a whole new list of responsibilities that he's going to have to take up because he's not used to that. And for the woman, if the underlying relationship is no longer fulfilling or satisfying, it's not going to be as hard for her to create her own home and manage it because she's kind of been doing that all along. So I think that's one of the reasons that you see men being a little more hesitant to pull the trigger is because it really will be a change for them in terms of how they approach life, whereas it's less so for women in those circumstances. Um, I often have... You know, I had a client a few years ago who was a dad and um, he kept saying to me <laughs> that he needed, um, you know, whenever he did anything for the family or had to arrange a doctor's appointment or had to make sure the kids were getting picked up, he kept describing himself as acting as mom. And I had to say, listen, <laughs> you're acting as parent. The fact that it used to be mom who did all of these things doesn't mean that these are mom duties. These are parent duties. So it's time for you to sort of step up and realize that you're going to be responsible for them now if you don't have her in her life. Um, so I think that's one reason. Um, I often see more frequently when we get talk about a, a very common trend now that a lot of people are, are talking about, which is called the gray divorce. 
And it's uh, the divorce for people who are, I think the age cutoff is 50 and higher, which as somebody who is coming dangerously close to that age, I find that to be an inappropriate cutoff. But um, it's essentially people who are in the second phase, right? The kids are older at that point. Um, Maybe they've moved out of the house. And you have couples who are sort of looking at each other as they enter stage two and saying, this isn't really working for us anymore. And in those circumstances, I find that the women in those divorces, the divorce often acts as a jumping off point for a really exciting kind of phase two, right? They maybe start a new career or they go back to school or they begin to travel. Um, They do a lot of the things that they weren't doing when they were more fully entrenched in an intact household. Um, And that's true whether they were working during the marriage or they were the primary um, parent during the marriage. Um, And sometimes it's true if maybe they had no job and what they are doing in phase two is, you know, exploring a new career that always sounded interesting to them, but they never really kind of took the time to do it. And that sort of moving into the new adventure and the jumping off point is it can be a catalyst for re-examining the relationship and seeing whether that's really bringing any additional value or um, sustenance to your life. Whereas I find that men in that same scenario, they tend to be ready to move into a slower pace um, post-divorce life. They're sort of thinking that as they get older, they're nearing retirement. They feel that they've been kind of on the hamster wheel for this whole time, bringing in the money, keeping things moving, and they're ready now for a relaxing post-child lifestyle. So that divergence of interest can also be um, a reason for divorce. And then I would say the last thing I was thinking about is that, you know, when you have traditional gender roles where you, uh, which is what we've primarily been talking about, where you have the person who's working and being the primary income earner outside the home um, as the man, there is much about that that provides stimulation, provides um, feelings of self-worth, feelings of confidence, um, a connection, a social life outside of the house. So if the marriage starts to not be as fulfilling to the parties, they're not as satisfied by it, it's not as stimulating, it can be less of a loss to someone who has a lively and fulfilling life outside of the home that has nothing to do with the family. So, you know, the, the parent who's staying at home may have a really good network that they're plugged into with the, the parents of other children within the school. Um, but in terms of things that are just theirs, from which they derive their own feelings of confidence and interest and, and adventure and curiosity, they may not have anything like that outside of the family. So feeling that the relationship that is the base of that family, the marriage, is not working is um, is more troublesome for them than for somebody who has a life outside the home. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. When you work full time, have kids and run a podcast, it's hard to make time for a multiple step skincare protocol. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. Let me repeat it. They make it easy 
No complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective, for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first One Skin purchase when using the code I do when you check out at oneskin.co. I've been using OneSkin's body lotion for about a month and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck and the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around. It's all thanks to OneSkin's revolutionary OS-01 peptide, the first ingredient proven to deactivate aging cells responsible for lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. Unlike traditional skincare products that only mask symptoms, OneSkin pioneered a new approach integrating tissue engineering and cutting-edge science to enhance skin biology for lasting resilience against aging. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using the code IDO at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code IDO. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support your show and tell them we sent you. Money is one of the biggest stressors in relationships. While worrying about it doesn't help a ton, Earnin actually does. Our sponsor, Earnin, is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Many couples end up fighting about finances, especially when surprise costs arise. Earnin allows you to seamlessly deal with that unexpected trip to the vet or the last minute gift for loved ones without any stress, letting you and your partner focus on what really matters. Earnin is helping millions of Americans to feel self-sufficient and to worry and fight less about money. All of this without debt trap, mandatory fees, or credit checks. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download Earnin app, type in relationship advice under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. That's relationship advice under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I want to talk about the people that come to you and how good or bad these divorces go, because it seems like it can go either way. And often it's not kind of in the middle. And you hear horror stories of kids getting caught in the middle and custody battles. So what are some of the common errors you see people making from the start, maybe just with their approach when they come to you and then throughout the process? I think the divorce process is not surprisingly one that is um, fraught with a lot of emotion. So there are feelings of injustice. There are feelings of anger. Um, often there are feelings of guilt. There's lots of sadness. Um, and you may feel all of those things <laughs> all at the same time, all on the same day. Um, 
being able to divorce, no pun intended, the process from those feelings um, is really hard. So I think it's important for people to have an attorney who is able to highlight for them what are legal issues and what are non-legal issues and to help them put into place the resources that they may need to process the parts that are not legal. Because allowing your the legal process of getting a divorce to be uh, unnecessarily impacted by the emotional aspects of processing the divorce is going to be more expensive for everyone. It's going to make the process more adversarial. Uh, it's going to make it drag on a lot longer. And uh, it's in the end, it's going to be a real disservice to both of the parties and you know the family overall. The goal with the divorce process should be to get to the other end while doing the least amount of damage possible to the family. Because whether there are kids or not, this is a person that was a member of your family and that doesn't change when you get divorced, right? There's still a person who was a very important part of your life. And the idea, the goal, especially if there are children, is to be able to move to a place where the relationship certainly is different, but it still has that base of, you know, love and, and care for each other. That was the reason you got married in the first place. I know you're not a therapist, but you must have to play one a fair amount. What what do you tell your clients who who maybe are fired up, they got red in their eyes and they're bloodthirsty to kind of cause as much legal pain as they can because they're emotionally hurt. What are some of the things you you try to say to them to bring them back down? Well, I try to encourage them to think about um, outlets where feeding those emotions is appropriate, right? If it's somebody who's really having a hard time processing the emotional fallout from divorce, it definitely talks about, about making sure that they have um, a therapist of their own, some sort of counseling. I don't know if they're in a support group, perhaps, with other people who are going through divorce, um, whether it's co-parenting, if that's an issue that they're having difficulty with. Um, I also talk to them about making sure that the people that they're surrounding themselves with are people that promote where they want to be as opposed to, you know, encouraging them and helping them kind of get stuck in where they are. And what I mean by that is you want to make sure that the family and friends that you choose to share the process with are people who are, are really going to help you move through it instead of just feeding those things that are really destructive to you, feeding the anger, feeding the frustration, feeding this sort of need for vengeance, um, all of those, which many people are entitled to uh, as they're getting divorced and have a reason to feel those things. Um, you want to be sure that you're a little careful in terms of who and to what extent you share your process with. Uh, the other reason for that, as we've talked about, is when you get to the other side of the process and now you're co-parenting with this person that you just spent six months, a year, two years vilifying to all of your friends and family, they now have to see this person at you know graduations and weddings and family parties. Um, so you want to make sure that that relationship is not destroyed in to such a degree that it begins to impact the children. Um, I also, you know, as a lawyer, I have the benefit that therapists don't have of having the ultimate arbiter who is going to decide these issues. So it's not about whether I think they're justified to feel a certain way or whether I think you know, a certain argument has merit or doesn't. It's about what a court's going to do. 
And so I think it helps to have the ability, and that's really my job as a lawyer, is to counsel clients about the spectrum of likely outcomes on different issues. And if what they are seeking is something that I know they really would never get in court, then it's my job to help them understand that it's a waste of resources to pursue an outcome that that would never occur. Um, The other side also has a lawyer. They also understand what the likely range of outcomes is. And so you want to spend your time trying to negotiate within that range. And if either of the parties is really pushing positions that are going to be outside the range of what is likely something that the court would do, that's, again, going to be a reason that the process drags on, that it gets more expensive. And I really want to try and highlight for the clients that that's ultimately, even if it feels like they're sticking it to their spouse, it's destructive to them. What are some of those areas where there might be misconceptions from your clients of, and you have to say, well, no, actually, (laughs) you don't stand a chance or let's let's not go down that road. Right. Well, there are are two big umbrellas in the world of divorce, um, the finances and the custody. Uh, Within the umbrella of finances, there is the division of assets and liabilities, and then there's support, right? So those are the three big topics in the the world of divorce. And there can be unrealistic expectations in all of them. Um, I think one of the really common misconceptions is that people feel that if the court only understood whatever the reason is that they think they've been severely wronged during the relationship, then they would do X, Y, and Z. The reality is that the courts are just too overloaded and also too uninvested in the individual marriages to play referee. They really are not there to say, you know, this was a good husband or she was a great wife. Um, This person has really been treated unfairly. Uh, instead they're trying to figure out what the pot of assets is and divide it up. So a lot of the things that people feel the court has to know and the court, you know, that would, the justice that they're seeking, um, is very unsatisfying. So a lot of the divorce counseling that we do is helping them again, to recognize the difference between what a court would care about. And what you have a right to care about as you emotionally process the fallout from being divorced, which is not necessarily something that's going to impact how much you're going to get on a monthly basis in spousal support. Um, And that, you know, most frequently, I think infidelity is a place where that comes up. People really think that if they can prove that the spouse was unfaithful, um, that somehow is going to create a windfall for them. It doesn't. Uh, They also feel that if they can prove that the spouse was horrible in any number of ways. Um, And I'm not talking about domestic violence, which is something that can impact all of these things. But I mean, you're more run of the mill, not a good partner, uh, kind of horrible. Um, That that somehow is gonna impact parenting time and custody allocation. And it's, it's another thing that is often hard for people to process, which is that being a bad spouse doesn't make somebody a bad parent. So the court is not going to be swayed that because your spouse um, treated you in a way that you feel was not fair, that necessarily means he or she is not entitled to equal or you know, perhaps even more parenting time. What does the court usually do? They just don't care, right? Like, <laughs> I, I think that's important for people 
to kind of think about, right? So they look at it very just by the book. They, they do. Um, I think there's a couple of different ways that property gets distributed depending on where you're located. Um, in New York, for example, which is where I practice, when we figure out what the marital pot is, we divide it by what we call equitable distribution. And what that means is we look at a number of factors and then we apply those factors to decide how much of the value of the assets each spouse is going to take. So unlike, for example, in a community property state, where once we determine what the marital pot is, it just goes 50-50 down the line and there is no evaluation of equity or other factors. In an equitable distribution state, you do have room to make all of these other arguments about you know, who earned the money, who did more at home, um, who, you know, if there are issues of substance abuse or mental health that caused one spouse to um, essentially have to work harder to maintain or grow the marital pot. Those are the kinds of arguments that you can make to try and argue for something other than a 50-50 distribution. The reality is, you know, the longer the marriage, the more likely it is the court's going to kind of default to a 50-50. The exception to that being if one spouse has a business that they uh, created and or maintained during the marriage uh, that they were solely responsible for, they're likely to get more than a 50% share of the value of that company. But other than that, when we're talking about bank accounts or family houses, you know, once you get rid of any separate property credits that someone might have because of money that they put in that they had before the marriage or because of an inheritance or something like that, um, it's going to be somewhat equal. And the things that will move the needle are not going to be things like, you know, he hit on my best friend or um, she said she was going to get a job and she never did. Um, these kinds of things are not the things that the court's going to get mired into. How often do you? mediate and try to prevent it from going to court? Because from what I understand, like, if at all possible, that's what you want to do. Absolutely. It's cheaper for everyone. Um, not necessarily mediation, but avoiding going to court. And I make that distinction because, uh, you know, when we first started talking and you mentioned uh, that I have lots of experience with different cases and with being in court, uh, I wanted to say a lot of what we do actually doesn't end up going to court. So it's it's common for us to be retained, uh, to start communication with an attorney for the spouse, and to exchange financial information, to have negotiations, to start thinking about settlement terms, um, maybe to even draft an agreement. We can get all of that done without ever having to go to court until the end, when the only reason we're going to court is to say, please sign this judgment of divorce. So that certainly happens. Uh, and it is the preference. Um, but there are circumstances where being in court is just unavoidable. Maybe one spouse is resistant to providing the discovery that you need to really understand what the, the financial picture is. Um, maybe the parties are just too far apart in terms of what they think is appropriate or what they think is fair. And you really need the help of a court to kind of put a hand on one side or the other and weigh things out a little bit to help the parties understand how to get closer in terms of their positions. Sometimes it's just taking too long, the turnaround time, you feel like the other side's dragging their feet and you need the deadlines that a court, a court can impose. So there are certainly advantages to being in the court process and, and there are times when it is unavoidable. 
Um, again, there are also circumstances like domestic violence or substance abuse or mental health issues where you need a court to help protect the parties, um, one or both of them, to make sure that you know you have a, a clear line about who can be in the marital residence when. You may need to have supervision with respect to some of the custodial issues. And those kinds of things may be harder to work out without getting a judge involved if you can't get buy-in from the other side. So that's one way that's not mediation that we can negotiate divorce settlements um, without going to court. Mediation is a separate thing. Mediation, you know, I'm not sure the extent, uh, I know you guys have have had um, podcasts about a lot of different things, so I don't know about the level of knowledge for your listeners, but mediation as a process is where neither party has their own attorney. There's one mediator who's a lawyer who's informed about matrimonial and family law and collects all of the information from both parties about what their assets and liabilities are um, and kind of talks with them about what they think should happen. And they're certainly guided and will inform the clients about what they think a reasonable scope of outcomes could be if they went to court. But it's also about what they think as a family, as a couple, would work best for them as a unit after divorce. And that's really that kind of collaborative approach to creating a post-divorce life for yourselves is ideal. It's ideal whether you're trying to do that through lawyers or trying to do it with a mediator, but it's also only something that's available to partners who are able to do that, either because they're in equal positions in terms of their overall understanding and knowledge about the finances, so they don't need an individual advisor. You know, we have a lot of cases where one of the spouses has no idea what's happening. They have no idea how their life gets paid for. They have no idea what their life costs. They have no idea what accounts they have. Um, And so to put that person in a mediation where they're really at a disadvantage can be difficult. That person really needs an attorney who can sit down with them and explain and discover and ask the questions that it may not occur to them to ask. Um, If you have partners who are sort of equally informed, equally aware, and who have common goals and common ideas about what's fair, then mediation can be great. Um, I, I think one of the one of the most frequent turning points that we see in divorce cases is clients who have a conversation together, big picture about divorce. The takeaway for both of them is we just want to do what's fair. And then they both go and talk to their attorneys and it becomes clear what spouse A thinks is fair is totally different than what spouse B thinks is fair. And so they realize we're not as aligned as we thought we were. So you really need to drill down a little bit before you go into mediation to see if that's something that that makes sense for you. Because the downside to doing mediation, if it's not a good option, so you're going to spend all this time and money and resources on mediation. And then when it falls apart, each of you are going to spend the entire process with your own attorneys becoming more entrenched in what you think you agree to in mediation and the other side backed out. And if they hadn't done that, then we would be doing this. And it can make the process take longer and be more difficult than if you hadn't been in mediation in the first place. So I often, when I have people come in, will evaluate whether I think mediation makes sense given the circumstances. And it's certainly something I recommend if it feels like it's a good good fit. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. 
If you're tuning into today's show, you're probably aware that mental health and relationship challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define you and you're not alone. If you've ever wished that you could join a conversation with an expert and call into a show in a similar vein as relationship advice, here's an opportunity for you. If you're navigating something messy, call the Dr. John Deloney Show. His show recently hit top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and for a good reason. With a PhD in counseling and two decades of experience sitting with people, Dr. Deloney brings practical advice on how to connect with others, face depression, overcome anxiety, and find true wellness. This caller-driven show tackles real-life issues from relationships to emotional well-being. Dr. Deloney walks alongside people just like you as they navigate tough decisions. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Send your questions, leave a voicemail at 844-693-3291 or email askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. They want to talk to you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it all the time as my easy go-to meal. And then all of a sudden, there was a ton of messaging out there telling me that I shouldn't eat carbs and that I shouldn't eat bread and that bread is bad. And I hate to admit it, but I cut out bread entirely for the longest time. And it wasn't until recently that I started to understand that not all bread is created equal. Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. They've remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no-net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. I highly recommend that you give their bread a try. They're giving Relationship Advice listeners 10% off when you visit Hero dot co and use the code I do at checkout. I was so excited to discover Hero Bread. It's truly amazing. And they've made a product that is tasty and soft while having zero to one grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar and high in fiber. I'm not going to lie. Their white bread is so good and it makes the best tomato and mozzarella sandwich. Last week, Stella and I were back in Florida visiting our family and we all walked to the lake and the only bread we had in the house was Hero Bread. So we grabbed a slice, walked to the lake, and by the time we got there, Stella had eaten the whole piece of bread and of course, wanted more. So the poor ducks didn't get any Hero Bread, but Stella did. Since I had cut out bread for a while, every time I ate low-quality bread, my body felt bad. It felt bloated and I didn't feel great. But with Hero Bread, I feel good after eating it, which makes my life so much easier because now I can go back to my easy grab and go sandwiches when I'm on the run. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code I do at checkout. That's I do at H-E-R-O dot C-O. We've talked a lot about 
finances and, and that side of things. Before we wrap up, I want to just touch on custody issues. What are some of the things that people get stuck on and, and what would you advise our listeners who are either in the process of divorce or thinking about it to try to avoid or, or to think about when it comes to that? So custody can be very difficult because it's often not just about how much time you're spending with your children post-divorce, but it's also about your own perception of yourself as a parent and what you think one custody outcome says about you as a parent versus another, right? Am I a mom who didn't get primary custody? And what does that mean about me as a mother if that happens? So I think the first thing to think about if you're considering getting divorced is what you think would be reasonable, uh, meaning what it is that you would want, and how likely is it that that would happen? What we're seeing in New York, for example, is you know, presumption is too strong a word because we're not quite there, but we're almost at a place where the presumption at the start of any case is that custody would be 50-50 between the parents, unless there is you know, something that we're seeing, you know, again, domestic violence with substance abuse, mental health, parental judgment, serious issues that would call into question whether that's appropriate. But all things being equal, doesn't matter really what was happening during the marriage. If you had one parent that was a stay-at-home spouse and one that was working, um, if you had one parent that really took care of all the parenting and, and another who really wasn't as involved, the court's feeling seems to be post-divorce, if you have two parents, both of whom want to have 50-50 time, how great for the kids, even if there was a circumstance prior to the divorce where one parent was more involved than the other, how great for them that after the divorce, they're going to have two very involved, very invested parents, right? That's the goal. That's the outcome that they're looking for and how wonderful if that could be achieved. So I think if you are a parent who was a primary parent during the intact marriage and you really couldn't be in a situation where you didn't have your children most of the time, you really have to think about that in weighing whether you want to move forward with a divorce. We certainly have had cases, clients who've come in, consulted with us, heard that, you know, there's, while they have been the primary parent, there's certainly nothing wrong with the other parent, right? And it's just too hard for them to imagine not having their kids with them more to move forward. You really have to think about whether that's something you can do. There are all sorts of benefits to having a shared access schedule like that, where you really do have an equal division post-divorce. Um, and I have, I have never had a client who came in saying, I really want all of this time. And then the division was such that it was more of an equal distribution than they wanted. Who really feels that, you know, I mean, once, once you're in a divorce situation, having your kids be away from you, you know, five out of 14 is not that really that different than having to be away from you seven out of 14, particularly if that means that you can plan around that well, you can sort of establish an independent life for yourself, all sorts of, of benefits for you. So that would be the first thing, I think. Really think about what you would do, what you could be okay with, um, and make your peace with that. If it is important to you to not have a 50-50 custodial arrangement, then before you get divorced, you should consult with an attorney. You should talk to that attorney about what your thoughts are with respect to custody, what you would like to have happen, why you think that's appropriate. If there are circumstances that concern you about the parental judgment of your spouse, then you need to start keeping a journal. 
And I would, in that journal, I would take note of everything, have it be basically a calendar. Because a calendar that you're keeping simultaneously, meaning uh, you're noting things down as they occur instead of trying to recall things from memory, can be a credible source when you're trying to make your case to the court, right? He never comes home. Um, she said she was going to do X, Y, and Z, and then she didn't. And, you know, our child was so disappointed about that. Um, certainly, if you have concerns about um, how, how they parent, if you have concerns about there being um, any physicality, sometimes there are, you know, disputes as to whether different kinds of, of punishment are acceptable, um, whatever it is that you feel would make it not in your children's best interest to spend more time with the spouse, you want to be kind of keeping track of that and keeping a record of it. Um, so I think those are the things that I would say to somebody who's thinking about getting into um, a custodial litigation. But I think the things, you know, in, in the less extreme cases where it's really just about both parties who are thinking about the best interests of the children and just have different perceptions of what that might be, um, especially I say to parents who have been the primary parent and they're worried about relinquishing what they feel is sort of their ability to supervise their spouse. While you're in the intact household, start to give them the responsibilities that you're concerned about and give them a chance to succeed. Because, you know, what you want to do is give yourself some confidence and security that when you're not together in an intact household, your spouse can manage these things. They can do them in a way, may not be the same way you would do them, but they can do them in a way that is totally fine for your children and maybe in some ways better than the way that you do it, right? And then also it will give your spouse some of the confidence to be able to take on those tasks when you're not around. And really the goal is to move into a post-divorce world where both of you are competent and loving and, and, and parents that your kids want to be with. Well, Emily, these are all really important things to, to think about and will certainly help someone who is in this process or thinking about it because it's like we have an idea of how we want things, even if we're not angry, but then the court might just have other plans or just thinking about what is best for the process and not necessarily like ourselves, if that makes sense. And and you've laid out a lot of great tools and ways to frame it. So thank you so much for sharing that knowledge. Uh, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? And if there's anything you want to leave them with or something that you want to emphasize that we already went over, and then we'll say goodbye. Sure. Well, I'm uh, I'm a partner with Kasowitz Benson Torres LLP in New York, and we have a, a website. So it should be easy to track me down that way. In terms of leaving people with something, I think it's important to remember uh, one of the things we've been saying a lot to new clients that have called during the pandemic is to really think through what's bringing you to this decision, because um, certainly it's not something that anybody should take lightly. And it's important, particularly when the world is a bit of a dumpster fire overall, to be able to evaluate if what you're currently feeling that is making you unhappy is because of your marriage or because of something else um, and see if there's a way to parse that out. If divorce is where you're going to head, then you really want to take the time to find an attorney 
who, number one, specializes in matrimonial and family law so that they know the ins and outs of what you're about to uh, get into, and someone with whom you have a good rapport. Uh, you're going to be with your attorney through the divorce process, um, through some really difficult times. You're going to be talking to them about things that are very intimate and personal, and it may be a long process. So you want someone who you feel comfortable with, um, someone who you trust, and someone who you like. Uh, don't always just go for you know the bulldog or the person that you know you heard really took your friend's spouse to the cleaners or whatever it might be. Um, find somebody that you feel connected to and good luck. That's super valuable. Well, thank you, Emily. Our listeners can find all the links in our show notes and on our website, idopodcast.com. And thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, and while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge, we really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.